0: Welcome to the Redemptification Podcast, where we focus on inspiring people and communities and starting conversations around the topic of redemptification. Redemptification we define as the creative work of redeeming a person or place to its intended beauty and glory. I'm your host, John Marsh, and I'm joined by my co host, Ty Maloney. Welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. Wow, I've got something great to share today. I had a conversation, a call between Kyle Morris and Pete Oaks, where we were discussing the three capitals. How do you apply social, spiritual, and economic capitals as a framework to a church and use it to make an impact in a community? Um, Kyle Morris, who's the head pastor of Revived Church in Arvada, Colorado, has been a client of ours for a long time. And of course, Pete Oaks, you've heard on the podcast before, is a great friend of ours and the author of the High Impact Life book and soon coming High Impact Business. I appreciate these guys letting us share this kind of candid conversation we had together just in an effort to hopefully open the door where we could have a new conversation in the church about what it means to have these type of impacts and to use these frameworks as even a filter for making decisions I know you're going to enjoy today's call with Kyle Morris, Pete Oaks, and myself. Kyle, I want you to meet one of the funnest guys. He's a he's a sleeper. You don't think he's that cool on the outside, but then on the inside, he's really cool. He uh, we went and spent time with these guys, and they just blessed our socks off him and his sweet wife. And uh, he's um, he's one of the most interesting practitioners of what he believes you'll ever find. So I love he puts feet to his faith. He doesn't just talk it. He goes out and tries to do something with it. And, um, so that's, I'm grateful for all Pete does to add value to people. And in this season of his life, he's beginning to multiply the wisdom he's learned over 30 or 40 years in business. And, and he's doing it in a way, um, we, the biggest challenge is getting him to put the cookies on a low shelf where everybody can get to them. He uh, He's a pretty smart dude and he puts it out that way. So we are having to try to work on that. And Pete Kyle is a guy that I've spent time with. We met a couple of years ago in Arvada, Colorado. And his church was then called Foothills, is now called um, Revive. And Kyle is a pastor that is really pioneering the idea that social, spiritual, and economic capital is important for the church. Now he didn't know he was doing that after your, framework, it kind of illuminated what his heart was saying. So as they work to take their center in Arvada that sits between one of the most wealthy areas and one of the most struggling areas and be a bridge between those two, and he's decided that the church is going to lean into helping vulnerable families and use that real estate in a redemptive way to impact his community um, with social, spiritual, and economic capital. They're actually wanting to use your languaging to try to describe to the church how this makes sense. So today's call, I'm excited about it. Um, I am going to record it and I hope it's y'all talk clean enough and don't say anything crazy where I can use it in the future because it's a conversation so many want to have. But we'll start with each of you guys kind of um, just getting going on what what you're doing, Kyle, and then Pete can respond to that with how he sees it, we wanna talk about keep Pete, how the three capitals could fit in a church context and in thinking about it and then discuss with you how each of us see the spiritual, social and economic and how we might build metrics around that or measurements as we go forward. So that's today's call, um, we'll let you start off Kyle. Hey Pete, well, thanks for uh, thanks for hopping
1: on. I'm enjoying high impact life. I, I, would, I would say that the cookies are on a low enough shelf for me to eat them from that book, so I think you've done a, I think you've done a good job with that, and you don't look, you don't look that bad on the outside either. So I disagree with, <laughs> I disagree with John. I like those, I like those specs you have on. So, um, so for me, we've been. Uh, I took over lead the lead role here about five years ago. I've been at this church almost thirteen years, so I've been here quite a while. Yes. I did student ministry here for a long time, and. Uh, we we have been in the shopping center and have owned uh, a substantial part of the shopping center for really the last 15 years, but it has sat fairly dormant and it actually took John and his team coming in here and kind of giving uh, a gentle verbal spanking to me and my leadership team for us to go, oh, wow, he, he's right. We have lived uh, we've lived in this 75,000 square feet of space. Like we don't care about it that much. And so not only maybe have we started believing that, but everybody who walks in this space must leave, must leave going, wow, that church has a lot. God's given them a lot. They've stewarded a lot, but they haven't stewarded it well. And so in the process of inviting Marsh Collective into this process, I think that was the biggest kind of light bulb moment of going Hey, actually, we do care about this space. We do want to steward it for God's glory. And that's going to require making some significant shifts in how we use it. And so over the last couple of years, that began this process of thinking differently or outside the box of the way that the church can be an incarnational presence in the community without people walking in the front doors. And so we, we read a book called Canoeing the Mountains years ago. Um, And it really sets up Lewis and Clark as the overarching illustration that when Lewis and Clark hired their Corps of Expedition and they began looking for waterway passage uh, that would lead them west. All of those guys that were in that Corps of Discovery, they were all river rats and they were trained with canoes. And they got to this place where they had to actually leave the canoes and they had to go from being river rats to mountaineers and none of them were trained for it. And so a few years ago, I kind of stood on our stage and I said, I think we're coming to that seminal moment as the church, where if the church doesn't change the way that they operate as it relates to the culture, we're no longer kind of in this Christendom experience where the church has privilege and cultures looking at the church to lead the way. Church has no longer really a spot. We have to earn our spot back in being a meaningful force in our world. And so I kind of pitched that to our church. I said, what got us here is not going to get us where we're needing to go. And so that began kind of this visioning work on using this shopping center as a way to love and care for our community. Uh, When we invited Marsh Collective in, we didn't own the shopping center at that point, we just owned parts of it. But as we began taking steps toward owning it, the other owner of the shopping center, uh, he valued his part at 4.9 million. He gave us a $3.4 or $3.4 million charitable gift. Uh, So we in faith made the agreement to purchase the 1.5 million left. And when we did that, we had somebody who is not even uh, connected to our church gave me a, gave me a phone call and said, I'll, I'll pay the other million and a half. So right now we own it completely debt free. And so we're dreaming about the force that we can have in the community um, in this shopping center. And so what we're doing right now is we're shrinking our footprint as a church in order to increase our imprint in the community. And what that means is we're going from 75,000 square feet to about 32,000 square feet. And what that's going to do is that's going to open up uh, for workforce development. We're looking at some subsidized child care, um, food and beverage, a lot of just different opportunities to basically create what we're calling the bridge for you know, loving, vulnerable families and families in need, trying to do what Jesus did during his time on earth in our shopping center. So we think about it in the context. I've been talking about this in the context of Jeremiah chapter 29. We all know Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven. For I know the plans you have for me. But the context of that is really interesting. You have an exiled people. You know, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar came in, ripped the Israelites out, sacked the temple, and basically carried them off into bondage. And the people of Israel, they sat on the outside of the city and they basically said, we don't want to have anything to do with Babylon. They're evil. The ways they make their money, we disagree with. And so we're going to kind of stay on the outside. And, you know, Hananiah, who was a false prophet at that time, he said, you're only going to be here two years. Don't worry about it. Jeremiah comes in and says, no, 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 no. You're going to be here 60 years. And here's what God says. I want you to go in the middle of that place. I want you to build houses. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to have children and seek the peace of the city, because if the city prospers, you'll prosper. So we think about peace in terms of what the biblical definition of shalom is. And so shalom is flourishing, but it's not just spiritual flourishing. It's spiritual flourishing, economic flourishing, and social or relational flourishing. So right now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to paint that picture to church who honestly for a long time has only been concerned about spiritual flourishing and we're trying to tell them, Hey, holistically, God cares about the whole person, not just like an aspect or a compartment. And so we're very new at this. Um, you've forgotten more than I know for sure. And so, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just starting to cast this vision to the church who honestly, a lot of this is new to them.
2: Wow. Wow. Kyle, I have never heard a pastor say what you have just said. I've never heard a pastor say we're going from seventy-five thousand feet to thirty thousand feet. And so, brother, I am telling you, I, I I am drinking out of the same cup as you are, and 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 we have the same thing we have to do in business. But it's not shrinking my business; it's shrinking my personal wealth that I create in my business and putting it back in the community so man that is so encouraging and by the way I am still bruised from John Marsh's verbal (laughs) encouragement spankings (laughs) his (laughs) verbal spankings now you and you also made my day I think my cookies are on
0: the low shelf
1: you got to run like every statement that comes out of your mind you got to go okay
0: how can I get this to John? Get it on down a little lower. I love the way you guys are thinking. Bumper, bumper stickers, gentlemen. <laughs> You're interested,
2: John. <laughs> Kyle's on your left. I'm on your right, and we're going <laughs> to squeeze you into submission. Yes, Lord. Thank you for sending them. <laughs> well, Kyle, I just, man, I just love your vision there.
0: And so, what, um. How can I help you? I mean, what? Well, talk to us, Pete, about applying this to his spiritual, social, and economic kind of lens onto what he's going to try to do. Because the thing the bridge will do is we're going to lease to people. We're going to help start businesses. We're going to create meaningful work for people. And he's going to have to decide about who to rent to. If it's how do we measure how does the school teacher in Arvada How do we, how does she understand social, spiritual and economic capital? And how do we speak to her in such a way that, you know, the second or third grade teacher that she'll understand how the center is going to represent that our real estate. Yeah, I
1: think, and I think that's, you know, in y'all, I think in y'all's pot, I don't, I don't know. This is probably in your book, Pete, Mm -hmm. but it was also in the podcast that you guys did for John's podcast where you said, Hey, listen, these three categories or what we would say holistic shalom, this is since since the beginning, right? God gave, you know, Adam meaningful economic work. He created meaningful relational social connection. And then he gave him, uh, you know, he said, Hey, come walk with me in the cool of the garden. There's the spiritual connection. What I'm trying to figure out is how do I take, you know, how do I take what are going to be like social, spiritual, and economic capital is not necessarily, I'm a business, I, I have a business undergrad, that's not necessarily accessible to the average church yes. attender, yes. and so how can I make that accessible, but also how can I paint the picture of what that's going to look like, even though it's in the future?
2: Yes, yeah, great, so let me tell you why I use capital, and I'm not sure it's a good word for a church, but I'll tell you the reason I use it, So I think there there are three forms of capital, economic, social, and spiritual, okay? There are three states of being, poverty, wealth, and capital. Poverty is simply not enough, okay? If you're poor, you don't have enough. Wealth, you have enough, okay? And capital, by definition in the dictionary, is excess wealth. It's wealth that you are willing to put at risk. Okay. Yeah. So let, me, let me go through economic poverty, wealth, and capital, and then I'll go through the others real quickly. So so economic poverty, you don't have enough to eat. Okay. You, you're poor financially. If you have enough to eat and you have some money in your savings account and you have a job, you are probably economically wealthy. You have enough. You're not starving. If you have More than you need, and this is the big question here: is how much is enough? Okay, but I'm just going to say for me, if I've got a house that's paid for, or I can make the payments, I have a car, I have a good job, and I have some money in my savings account, you know, use the Dave Ramsey or the whatever you want to say, a year or two's worth of wealth, and I'm and I'm putting some money in in my retirement account. I am wealthy. Okay. If I have more than that, I am an economic capitalist. The problem is because a lack of faith, we don't want to take what we just need and we want more than we need. And then we don't take that and put it at risk. Go back to the parable of the talents. What happened is the master came and gave what I would consider capital to the three servants he gave them stuff they didn't have it doesn't say they were poor and he gave it to them to meet their needs in fact it says they took it and immediately put it to work what when you put something to work you're taking risk so i believe that he gave them cap he gave them wealth that was beyond what they needed and they and two of them treated it as capital and doubled it the one that treated it as wealth because he was fearful he treated it as wealth and he buried it. And, and we know the, 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 the end of the story, right? So what we have to get people to think about, and once again, I'm not sure the word capital is the right word to, to use in the church, but we can, you can come up with a word or we can come up with a word that's maybe better. It, it's, it's economic wealth that's beyond what we need that we're willing to take risk with. Let me talk about spiritual capital. If I don't know Jesus, I'm poor. I'm spiritually poor. If I know Jesus, I'm spiritually wealthy. Okay? If I know Jesus and know a little bit of Scripture and have gone down the journey, I would say, in some sense, I could almost argue that the minute you, beca- you know Jesus, you're wealthy. And then at some point in time in the future, you know enough, about Jesus, that you moved from wealth to capital. You are willing to take your faith and share it and risk it. What if Billy Graham would have just sat in his study all of his life and learned about Jesus, but never never took the risk of standing in front of millions and saying Jesus is the way. Mm-hmm. So, so Billy took spiritual wealth, treated as a capital and took risk with it. Make sense. Yes. The same thing on relationships. What has, what has John just done today for you and I, he has taken risk by introducing you to me and wow, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. So if I wouldn't have, if I don't have friends, I would be poor, spiritually poor. But then when I've got friends like John, who treats relationships as capital and invests those, then great things like today happen.
1: Right, right, okay.
2: So that's kind of the way I view poverty, wealth, and capital. And I think in some sense, people need, whether whatever terms you use, I do think that progression is important. And I that's do right. think um, that the parable, the talents, and the ability to take risk is really that, how do we get our congregation to go into the community and take risk?
0: Right. Right.
2: The opposite of Matthew 25, I think is Luke 12, the rich young ruler. I I, am you know, I'm going to, I've got, I've got these great crops. What do I do? I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to big builder. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to eat, drink and be married. And what did Jesus say? You fool. Hmm. See, he treated his wealth, his wealth as wealth and not as capital for the kingdom. Hmm. Hmm. And so he didn't want to take risk. That's good. Yeah. So, so, I,
0: so Pete, what about this? So you've laid it out for us. So hmm. is the church at a place, the church as a whole, seeing their real estate and their holdings there, that, that it is actually something that God expects them to steward, to be found faithful with. What does it mean? What would a church look like that was in poverty with their real estate? What would one look like that was wealthy? And what would one look like that was using in a form of capital? That's, That's really good.
2: Yes. Um, the church that was, was greedy or wealthy would say we're going to go from seven. We're going to tear down the shopping center and we're going to build a hundred million dollar new church on this space. When a church says we're going from seventy five thousand feet to thirty thousand feet, holy smokes! It's the it's the most risky thing you could do almost.
1: Yeah. So
2: you you that's what it looks like, John. It's taking what we have and putting it. Work. I just got no,
1: and I I just got out of a meeting where I told our elder board I said we're shrinking from seventy five thousand to thirty thousand, and it's probably going to cost us about four million. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. So, but but then, um, for Kyle, the sake of what? Yes. Right. But I I think, and I don't mean to run down some silly roads here. But, you know, you do have priests and kings, and, and I'm not a big priest-king guy, being the priest being you and the king being me as a business guy. But I do think there are, there are four institutions that God has ordained, the family, the church, the marketplace, and the government. The first three are creators. The family, I think, is the primary creator of social capital. It's where we learn to get along and love each other and work in together. The church is a primary creator of spiritual capital, and the business community is a primary creator of economic capital. The government should only be the
1: protector
2: of the environment that allows those other three to flourish. Okay? That's good. And so... As you, and, and I think the key will be this balance of the church not necessarily becoming a business and the businesses there not necessarily becoming the church, but we, we have this threesome that work in tandem so closely that they almost become yeah. one. Okay. Symbiotic,
1: symbi- symbiotic, almost like a symbiotic relationship. A-
2: absolutely and so
1: we'll define that for you in a minute john <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. <Ben. laughs> stay, it's like saying sick them to a dog this gets going
2: Same so day. you know so um so so Kyle. let me just let me talk about economic, social, spiritual capital in our business, and then maybe that gives you some ideas for the church, okay? So we're, um, we have moved um, a, a large portion of our business inside of a maximum security prison, okay? So we employ 200 inmates on any given day. Um, let's talk about economic capital. When, when you are in prison and work for the state of Kansas doing picking up trash or sewing clothes or making license tags for the state, you make 50 cents a day. If you work for us, you make $100 a day. Okay. So, so I, um, and, and the power of that, I never realized. Let me go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan for a moment. Um, and you, you you alluded to this. Uh, you see the the, the, priest and the the priest and the Levite, the spiritual guys, walked down the road, saw the guy. And I think it literally says they walked around him. I mean, I think they didn't walk within. To stayed a on,
1: yeah, stayed on the other side, I think. Stayed on the other passed, side. Passed on the other side.
2: Yeah, passed on the other side. So in my mind, I'm thinking what they're thinking. If that guy would just get Jesus over there, everything would be fine. And they kept on walking. The good Samaritan, on the other hand, came along, picked him up and took him to the hotel, bought him whatever he needed, took care of him, said, hey, I'll even if you need more money innkeeper, I'm here. So our motto is that we lead with economic capital. We follow with social capital and the doors to spiritual capital fly open. Good. Yeah, it's good. When we give a, an inmate a job. Oh, my gosh, it's. I think the number one act of generosity that uh, that Pete can do in my life is to create a job for somebody. I think that's my number one act of generosity. A good job, not a crappy job, a good job. Okay. <laughs> and so um, then I come along beside that inmate. Whenever I'm in the prison, I start on one end of the manufacturing floor. We have 60 or 70,000 square feet, 200 employees, and I walk the floor. It takes me an hour. I'm slapping guys on the back. I'm shaking their hand. I'm talking to them. I'm creating social capital. After I've given them a good job, and pretty soon these guys go, what's with these people? Why, why are they doing this? Yeah. Why are they doing this? And then they begin to ask that, and I go, this is Jesus, folks. I'm just commanded to do this we've had 60 conversions in the last year, you know? We've built, so economic capital, we give them a good job. Um, that uh, Just a, a little more detail on that. Um, 25% of what they get paid goes back to the state for room and board. So if they make $100 a day, $25 a day, they take off the top, it goes back to the state of Kansas. Our inmates will pay to the state of Kansas million dollars back to the state in room and board okay so the state wins they win their families win restitution child support all this stuff gets taken out of that but most of that money goes back to their their family i win because i get a good steady workforce that shows up to work every day right (laughs) okay Um, Social capital. It's what I explained to you. I'm walking the floor. We have fathering lessons. We have we have 15,000 hours of online training that's available on iPads or Kindles, I guess, to our inmates. They can have uh, right now media has given given us all of their stuff. And they just said, make that, make that free to inmates. Okay. Then we have a whole bunch. You can get a, bl- a black belt in lean manufacturing. If you want, you can get a degree in entrepreneurship if you're an inmate. So these are social capital things that we're doing for them. And these guys are so appreciative. Then spiritually once a month, we have a what I call a life lesson myself, or one of our senior leaders just comes in and we give a little 15 minute sermon on that's, that's biblically based uh, around our values. We have Bible studies, we have all this kind of stuff. We had a, we've, we've created a seminary in the prison. We've got uh, eight men have graduated, 23 are almost to graduate round, to, round two. Those, those 31 men have changed the prison because they go back into the walls, behind the walls and literally live out Jesus. That's where all the conversions are from. We're we've just finished a million dollar church inside of building a million dollar church inside of the prison.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Yeah it's awesome. John's seen <laughs> the space. So where uh, in
1: Kansas is this?
2: We're in uh, We're. I live in Wichita but the prison is and our business is actually in Hutchinson Kansas. Okay. Yeah wow. I'll invite you to come you, the, the invitation's open whenever you want to come and Take a look at that, Kyle. So that, that kind of gives you a feel for how we live out. Now, one one other thing. In our business, and this goes back to John's measurements in, in whatever, uh, KP, key performance indicators, how do we monitor this stuff and make sure we're doing what we do? So economically, if you think of an income statement, Um. Our net operating income line is the measure of our economic capital creation. We don't, we spend a lot of money on churches and seminaries and all that stuff, but we don't shove that stuff above the net operating income line. We want a pure and a clean net operating income line, okay? Then below that, we have a bunch of categories for all this stuff for social and spiritual capital expenses. So we look at that and then we say, Okay, we spent this amount of money. On our KPIs, we measure the outputs for economic capital. So if you are having if you put a business in there or you're renting it, make sure that your economics are true and pure. Okay. Then we measure the inputs on social and spiritual capital. We believe we plant, we water, and God causes a growth. So what we measure is how well do we plant, how well do we water? That's and- good. Expectant that God will provide growth. And we see growth. It's more intuitive at times. Sometimes it's very 60 inmates. We we, you know, we just add up the guys that have told us they've come to Christ. So we do measure that, but it's not something we don't have a KPI that says we're gonna have a hundred inmates come to Christ this year. Right. We do, we do have KPIs that say this year we're going to offer. 27 Bible studies, we're going to have a seminary, we're going to go on four mission trips, we're going to, those are the things that, the inputs that we measure.
1: That Yeah, for the, for the first time, John, that's made the most sense on the input stuff, because I we've been talking about that from a business perspective, but hearing hearing the input, as you just described it, that now pay, helps me to paint a picture for our people of, of what that even, how that's even theologic, it's theologically correct that we wouldn't determine the output. So I think that's that's really helpful.
0: Yes. So, Kyle, tell him kind of how you see this. You're casting the vision to your people, and t- tell him how you see the bridge working and what the the things you're wrestling with, the tensions of a church trying to enter into, especially the economic capital world with intention. You know that that's where the tension's falling for you guys because spiritually they understand that, but. The, the social, I think they understand some, but this this economic piece, y'all are going to be renting to people that do promote good, true and beautiful things that are God forward and then things that are just good. So John,
2: could I interrupt just a minute? Sure. Let me give you one more example, Kyle. 27 years ago, we started a, a nonprofit uh, Christian high school in Wichita, Okay. And by a, the grace of God, I actually owned a bank and one of the, a piece, it was a failing bank and I repossessed a piece of ground that ultimately became this school, okay? So part of my dream was always, I believe, I really believe that sustain, economic sustainability in Christian ministry is really a good thing, okay? So what we've done, and it's taken us 25 years but we set aside ten acres. This school has now wound up being on one of the 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 one of the best retail streets in Wichita, Kansas. So we've set aside ten acres, and here's what we practically did: we gave we gave the school owned that, so we gave that we we contributed that ten acres to a for-profit company. Okay, I'm I'm giving you some maybe practical technical application to what you're doing so to make sure that the, the ministry and whatever was not not kind of insulated
0: from that or whatever
2: insulated yes we shove this 10 acres over into a for profit business that's owned 100% by the school okay we have a separate board of directors that runs that business as it were and we're developing it's a real estate development that will ultimately wind up with eight or ten other businesses in it okay and we want there are three goals that, that we want to achieve one a place for kids to work and earn tuition so they can come to school two a place for young people to understand high impact business and the practices of such and thirdly it will act as a long-term financial engine to allow for us it will pay for financial aid to those that are not so fortunate that can't pay the $12,000 tuition it takes to come to trinity so mm-hmm. that's our three goals that's the way that works and That's
1: interesting so our our three goals from the for the bridge and revive church before we even met john is And before we even had economic, social or spiritual is number one, we want the bridge to create revenue streams from the church outside of what the tithe brings. Number two, we want people to be able to come to the bridge and bump into Jesus without even ever stepping in the walls of the church, bump into relationship and Jesus. So that's the social capital. And number three, we want to continue to create a place where disciples are made and sent out. So it's just interesting. A lot of what you a lot of what you just said.
2: Yes, perfect. So, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt there. Kyle, go back to what kind of what John was suggesting you talk about. If you have more questions or.
0: Well, just simply around the tension, Kyle, as you go into describe this to the church and you're going to say, hey, we're going to lease to a batting business that does this. or we're going to have a bit there for the church not to just see the, the struggle is to see how does. A business that lets kids play baseball and don't and doesn't put a fish on the sign or talk about Jesus help further our mission or things like yeah. this, Kyle. So, just share a minute about the tension or, the, or what you're seeing there from the from yeah. the church. Yeah,
1: I think there's a lot of tensions. I mean, the first one being, and this is a little more front and center for us as the church is we're we're trying to. We're trying to have an incarnational presence in a very consumeristic culture that has invaded into the church as well. So that's going to be the number one challenge: is getting people to. to, I'm super excited about shrinking from 75 to 30. Um, I'm not sure the average person will be able to share in that excitement. So it's incumbent on me as the driver of this vision to be able to communicate that well. So I would. Hearing some of your story helps in telling that story, but any other advice you can give on that would be huge. Number two, I think one of the things that we're going to have to do really well that is just not church speak is be able to communicate to our people, yes, we're shrinking from 75 to 30. And yes, there will be an upfront cost to curating our space to where everybody's in one building together. However, what they also need to understand is what that does is that frees up. $150,000 per year on the, the potential capital that we can bring in. And then I think what John's alluding to is at least for right now, we have people in our shopping center that are renting space from us that are sustaining the center while we curate the vision. And just on paper, you would look at it and you would go, I'm not seeing the connection of why we would be renting to those folks because we have a batting cage, for instance, that has 9,000 square feet. It drives a crazy amount of traffic. It serves youth in in our uh, shopping center, but the owners of it don't go to Revive Church. They're probably kind of Catholic by association only. And so helping people to see through those three lenses is going to be critical for us really in fundraising for this vision, but also for my heart too, is our, our big thing is live and love like Jesus, right where you are. And so wherever you are right, where you are, you are the Jesus presence. You are, you know, you're not just in your career for your career, you're in your career and whatever economic trajectory you're on, you can actually pull somebody up similar to what you're doing with your prison, but on a micro scale. So this vision's macro from the bridge but if it's going to be successful, it has to be micro for everyone who calls this church their home, if that makes sense.
2: Yes, absolutely. Kyle, I just really think this concept of flourishing makes sure people really, really understand that. And that takes three components. It takes money, it takes relationships, and it takes Jesus to be just very simple about this. And that's
1: good. I think I like that language.
2: Money. Relationships, Jesus. If you got those three things, you don't need anything else. You are flourishing. So as a church, we want to promote that. And I do think maybe you could talk about the God-ordained institutions, family, church, business. The, The church doesn't want to become business. The church doesn't want to become your family, but we want to be we for too long we have siloed our lives. And we want to have those more integrated, and we mm-hmm. want the church to lead that way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, where you could might, where you could maybe give some comfort to people is to say, um, we we will have a a for profit business that is maybe owned by the church, but it's led by someone else, so that so that we don't get into these conflicts, potential conflicts of interest. Okay, right. I'm just right. I'm brainstorming with you here. And I, I don't know if this is what you should do or not, but I'm, I'm just trying to throw some ideas out here to get your people comfortable because there are going to be people that this is so new and revolutionary to them. It, it's, they'll scare them.
1: No, the siloed, the siloed, you know, John and I were talking about this, and it's not church and state, but it is kind of church business this is almost a rebellion against the silo and the separating that has just kind of happened naturally as the, you know, as the church has moved out of the center of culture, these are kind of off limits conversations because yep. we want to be, it's, it's the church has taken this a bit of a separatist approach. Yes. Um, we kind of do our thing and we put our fence up and everybody else does their thing.
2: Yeah. I spend a couple of hours in church every week. I spend 40 to 50 hours in business every week Church is where I come and get refueled and recharged. Business is where the real church, where the real work of the church should be done. It's the battlefield. Yeah. I come back to the hospital to get patched up, (laughs) get refreshed, and then I'm sent back out the next week to really fight the fight. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And that's the, I would say that's the minority that's the minority application in most people's lives and so it's a it's a paradigm it's a paradigm shift of yeah. of thinking because i think it's 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 a poor it's a poor job of discipleship in the church really at its core and yeah. so that's what we're it's we're really talking about discipleship and where we've lacked in that and this is a this is kind of the application
0: of of real discipleship of what it should look like Yes. One thing our buddy Steve Garber said to me, Pete, he said one businessman came to him one time and he said, when is the church gonna have a sermon that speaks to me where I am? Yes. He said, I feel like I sit on the back row and nothing speaks to me about what I'm living under. And one thing we've said to Kyle is, Kyle, think about the hats, okay? You're wearing the hat as a steward or owner. You're wearing the hat as a lead tenant in this space. You're also wearing the hat now as a developer, and then yes. you also will be wearing the hat in some ways as a landlord. Each of those are responsibilities and opportunities, but oftentimes we don't wear it that way. I mean, I think of when, when a guy asked us in church, he said, um, he said, what do you think about our, and this is a very large church in our community, 5,000 members said, what do you think about our church in our community? He said, you're not that good a neighbor. I mean, it hurts my real estate value Yes, because you're there only about four or five hours a week and take up tons of space and you're not super Mm -hmm. open with your facility the way the rest of us have to be to make stuff work. I mean, if we use your parking lot, you may get upset at us or whatever. It's just, and and that's really, how do we become good? I mean, what would it be like if the church was the neighbor you said, I I hope they never leave? Ooh, I'm glad they're here. They're the best neighbors we have. And and that's kind of, how do we think about these things? So talk to us a minute about all the roles that the church sometimes is wearing and how stewarding that will looks. I think that's a key thing. Yeah. You, Pete, what what do you think? Yeah. About the church in that way, as you seeing it from a business standpoint or as a steward standpoint.
2: Yes. Well, first of all, let's just look at the, um, Let's look. Let's look at the economic, primarily property piece of the church. It's used a few hours a week. What if we could turn that church into a place that, for five days a week, it was a vibrant place for seminar, for seminars, for meetings, for whatever events or whatever events. Absolutely. Get, how do we get people into? How do we use those facilities? I'm talking about the actual church building, not the shopping center, the church building itself. Right. How do we use that thing nonstop? Okay. The second thing is how could the church support not only just the businesses in the shopping center. So um, I'm going to digress here for just a minute. We as a business, And uh, so we also have a business in Mexico, Kyle. We have about 800 employees in Mexico building stuff, okay? We have worked like crazy to create economic, social, and spiritual capital down there. The economic capital has worked fine. Socially and spiritually, we've struggled. About four or five months ago, we said, we got to try the outside chaplain thing. I, I tried outside chaplains in my business 10, 15 years ago, and the people just never took to it. We now have, I think, eight chaplains in Mexico that are pastors of the local churches who come in a couple hours a day into our business with 800 employees. They are saying, Pete, you do not understand how fertile this soil is. We have, we have this banner, this triangle that you saw, honor God in the middle. And I want to talk about that in a minute too. Um, we have these banners hanging everywhere and they're all in Spanish and whatever. And he goes, you have talked about God and have prepared these people. You just needed somebody to kind of come in and close the deal. He goes, it's amazing. So as a a business in the community, could we offer support to the employees of businesses? It's interesting. And we're in a maquiladora. It's a uh, we rent our space and we lease employees from the Maquila operator. Okay, and it saves us all this monkey business of dealing with the unions and having our own business and all this stuff. It's a very easy way to do business in Mexico. I don't have to have a Mexican corporation. I can just rent stuff from from these um, Maquila operators. Uh, there are eight thousand employees in the Maquila Park. We have eight hundred of them. Okay the operators of the miquila park came to us last week and said what your chaplains are doing we want can we put them in the entire park of 8000 people because wow. they're just they're ministering to our employees what if what if the the extra ministers that you hired instead of ministering to your people they ministered to the the, the business community. What if your congregants became ministers to the business community? You were you're training them up and push putting them out there. So so we we've got how can the church be used? How can our people be used going out, reaching out? And then spiritually that's just going to happen. They're going to bring people kind of back in, I think. A quick thought. Think back to the old villages in Europe four or 500 years ago in the middle of the town was the church around that was a square and all the businesses around that all the businesses were around the church and then guess what we're right behind this row of businesses all the houses where people lived and i think that really worked well until we became so influential and we started uh, you know I'm a free market capitalist to the core, but free market capitalism without a moral code goes downhill really fast. Okay. Amen. Economic capital without spiritual capital um, just, does, just doesn't work very well. That triangle, um, it's a balance, Kyle. It's, uh, it takes all three to flourish. If you have a great job and a lot of friends and know Jesus, you're not flourishing. If you have a lot of friends, but don't have some, you're not flourishing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Flourishing requires wealth in all three of those. Right. And not, and not too much wealth. Because if you have, I'm not sure you can have, you, I think you could probably have too many friends but i don't think you'd have too much Jesus i i'm not i haven't quite worked that thing through in my mind but anyway that, that's a random thought there but we we get these big urban sprawls going and i'm i'm saying could this bridge be think back to the old european community church in the middle
1: parish almost yeah
2: uh, yeah exactly and how do we really make that little community thrive
1: how could you yeah that's been that's been something since we've been in community with the marsh collective and it 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 comes pretty strongly against a, a what can be a megachurch mentality or even a satellite mentality and that is this hyper local for focus you have to be you have to be invested in the community to have a hyper local focus and so that's been that's yeah. been huge as we've been thinking about this bridge, even in because the question I'm getting is what happens if the church explodes? What happens? We're shrinking the footprint. So we're, what if we don't have enough room? Yeah, I said, I said, well, then I guess we will have to invest in a, another local area, you know, where Absolutely.
2: Where where the, the shopping are. center.
1: <laughs> so, so that's some. Um, yeah, that, that's all that. That's all like very, very helpful for me to keep thinking about a couple questions for you. There, there seemed like there was a seminal moment in your book, and I think you you described it as turning forty. Uh, and I, I just turned forty. Yes. And and there was a you know there was a shift in you where it was you realized it was all about you. Yes. How old are you now, Pete?
2: Ten minutes from seventy.
1: Okay. And so, has looking back on that almost thirty years ago, that shift of it's all about Pete to it's all about God i'm assuming that's that's been gradual over time this is more of a personal question for me because i feel like that i feel like that shift is happening in me where my ministry for a long time was about numbers it was about being a communicator that people gave me a pat on the back and said hey that that was really that sounded really good but yeah. i feel like i feel like that shift is happening in me right now and so i guess more than it's a question I think my, my submitted prayer has been, Hey God, whatever you're doing, keep doing. But I, I feel like I want all that to happen at once and it's not. And, and so I don't know. I just, I just wanted curious about your reflected 30 years.
2: Yeah. So if I could take three minutes and just kind of tell you the, the, the before and after of the 40. So, uh, graduated college, went to work in the banking industry, At at 25, I wrote my first personal plan that said I wanted to be an entrepreneur by 30. So at age 29, I became an entrepreneur. Really, really tough, three or four years. I'm not, if I would have known what I had to go through, I wouldn't have done it, but I did it, got through it. So from 30 to 40, um... I woke up at 40 and realized I'd been financially successful, but I was horribly unsatisfied. Okay. Yeah. Some mentors of mine sat me down and I made the switch from ownership to stewardship that happened very quickly, but it's kind of like salvation. There's a lot goes into, you know, we're um, positionally sanctified, but the practical sam- sanctification takes a while. Okay?
0: Right. Right. <laughs>
2: And um, so for the next 10 years, when I made that switch, all of a sudden I said, I now understand why I'm in business. It's to be a steward. And unfortunately I thought financial steward. I thought stewardship was financial generosity. So I just put the hammer down. I made more money. I gave way more money away and 2001 rolled around with nine 11 and we came within a whisker of going bankrupt. And I said, God, don't you understand what I've done for you? And why are you putting me through this? And I think, I think, Kyle, at 40, I went from success to significance. At at 50 in 2001 or 2002, I went from significance to surrender. Mm. And so I think that is a journey. Yeah. I will tell you, I am still along. I spend, in the book, you will see two triangles. You'll see a triangle with me in the center. You'll see yeah. a triangle with God in the center. If me's in the center, it's about pride, pleasure, and possessions. I think those three Ps flow all through scripture. It started back with um, Eve when, when she was presented the apple. It, um, it, it, it looks nice, pleasure, it tastes good, possessions, and it'll make you like God, pride. Solomon talked about pride, pleasure, and possessions. Jesus was presented with pride, pleasure, and possessions when he came out of the 40-day time in the desert. And then in 1 John 2, 15, 16, do not love the world or anything in the world for, for, uh, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, possessions, the lust of his eyes, pleasure, and the The uh, boasting of what he has and does, pride, comes not from the Father, from the world. Every sin we commit, I think, falls into one of those three things, pride, pleasure, possessions. And when me is in the center, our focus is pride, pleasure, and possessions. And then when we do a transformation, when we ask the why question, why do I exist? It's not for me, but it's about honoring God. Then Galatians 2.20 kicks in. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It is crucifixion is ultimate surrender. When I stick God on the phone, the throne, then pride turns to service to others, pleasure turns to excellence for God. Ownership turns to stewardship. Yeah,
0: that's
2: good. So those three things, and when you are making decisions in the church, here are four questions that I would I would ask. Anytime you make a decision, ask these four questions, and they go back to what I just talked about. One, does it honor God? That's the middle triangle. Two, does it really serve people? Okay. Three, can we do it with excellence? And four, are we be, being good stewards? Mm. Those cover the principles, the people, the practices, and the profit of what you were doing. And it starts with principles because principles drive people, people drive practices, practices drive profit.
0: I love you, Pete Oaks.
1: Does it have, (laughs) hey Pete, does it, have you, have you, or has anyone that you know attempted to kind of take the big ideas of high impact life and put them in kind of a sermon series? Do you know of any, (laughs)
2: Nope. I'd love to, I'd love to help you do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm just thinking through what I love about high impact life. I mean, for me, casting the organizational vision of the church is easy as far as the bridge and how that's going to serve others and how that's going to honor God and how we're going to be good stewards that those are easy questions for me to answer those four questions around. I think where this vision becomes harder is how do we zoom this vision into Joe Gro, who's sitting in our seats, who owns a business, who's never thought about the high impact life that he can be because he's so concerned with self and those three Ps. And so I'm just, yeah. as I've been, as so, I've been reading this book, I'm like, this needs to be a sermon series. This needs to be a sermon series. And just trying to think about how to, how to do that and play yeah. drive the whole way. So yeah.
2: Could, could you hold on just a minute? I want to get something.
0: Sure this guy's awesome i like him he's crazy man he's like us i love what you're doing is giving him a chance to apply what he's invested his life in into a vertical he cares deeply about
1: yeah i like the uh i i really really like just the money relationships or money friendship and jesus i mean that's just a really and I like, I think probably for the church, flourishing might be a better word than capital. We got to, I got to think about that. But
0: um... uh, flourishing is a good one. You can, it, 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 it leans it back. We say our definition of flourishing is when the people who have the least experience the most. You yeah, know something's flourishing.
2: That's really cool. So here's the latest deal
0: high impact business.
2: High impact business. So,
1: uh, there's a middle. That's not the. There's a middle one, right? High impact. There's habits. Habits. So, okay.
2: So there's high impact life. High impact habits is the workbook that that takes that helps you personally understand high impact life. So high impact life book is philosophical. That's why John didn't like it. If he would read high impact habits, he would love habits. Well,
1: he gave gave me your book, so he likes it all right, I think.
2: Okay, I'm going to send you some more stuff here (laughs) in the next few days. But Habits literally just steps you through, what do you need to do in life? And there's really three things. You need an annual plan, you need a weekly strategy session, and you need daily execution. And we just tell you how to do these little three things just to create, you know, those three Practices or habits will allow you to honor God, serve people, be excellent, be a good steward. Okay, yeah. yeah. So habits is for personal application. High impact business is is um, business application. So what we do is we take you through a strategic plan to con- to transform your business from a transactional in- enterprise to a transformational enterprise, and we just use the, everything the same. We, cool. do have, we do have a little different um, framework, um, and the framework is still the same. We use principles, people, practices, and profit, but then there are four pillars, the purpose of the organization, the strategy of the organization, the operations of the organization, and the execution of it. Those answer the why, the who, the how, and the what. So why are we in business? Who do we serve? How do we serve? What do we do? I so have you've blown
0: our socks off. Now I got, I got one minute. I got to get to the next call. So yes. I, 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 I think we've got to do more because it's been a rich call between you two. Oh yeah. And, yeah. um, if you're willing to help, I know Kyle's got his heart toward doing this, uh, and putting it into place, so maybe we can uh, encourage you to help and to visit him there in Arvada.
2: Yeah, that'd be a dream, lot of dream. There's another book called High Impact Church. High Impact Church. There you go. You could be the guy.
1: Well, John, John and I have John and I have talked about a lot of different things as far as writing stuff. <laughs> we do think we're writing a story here that I'm is going to be. Uh, we're. we think we're writing a story that might be, you know, that might be able to influence others besides just ourselves. But so that would be, that would be cool.
2: You guys tell me when you want to go again and I'm in. Sweet.
1: I love you guys both. You're both awesome. Great. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Pete. Appreciate your time so much. Okay. We'll go again. All right. We'll do it. Thanks, John. Yes, sir.